All right, and we're we're back. 2020, Asians represent. Agatha unfortunately is not here. Jade has sadly gone back to her life in the UK, but Jade will return. Mm-hmm. And now it's just Amar and I. This is a, this is our second episode to, of Asians represent together, that's but right. our first. Uh, that's just you and I. That's right. Because yeah. we did one with Ben. Remember Which we interviewed awesome. Ben Chong, and it was just like three deep voiced Asian dudes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and but now it's just you and I. And this is our January episode. This is the the conversation that you will listen to before you listen to the other amazing conversation I had with Bashir about Islam and gaming. Yep. Like, dude, I learned I learned so much during that during that interview. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the one thing that you would consider like the whitest hobby in tabletop. Shoot, like war gaming, like yeah. miniature war gaming. Oh, there were medieval war gaming and medieval Islam, uh, Islamic societies. Yeah. Exactly. There is that, <laughs> but also like there's a modern. There's a modern game called Infinity. Oh, it's yeah. like a war game. There's an RPG based on it too. Yep. But one of the factions is actually a faction that was inspired by the Islamic world. And it's actually done really, really well and tastefully. Cool. I would yeah. love to check that so out. So that's, that's going to – maybe we'll play that RPG. Yeah. We'll look into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we talked to Bashir about that. We talked about Bashir's game, which is actually about repatriating and stealing artifacts from the British Museum. Yes. And, and, and repatriating them to the world. Yes. Which I think is a really cool concept, you know considering my background uh yeah totally yeah <laughs> and for everybody at home uh daniel was an archaeologist yeah yeah that's there you know i just found out that my supervisor is actually going to be retiring mm-hmm. and that a lot of well not my supervisor my former supervisor i guess there's still some trauma there sure um is going to be retiring and that they're offering a lot of the older tenured faculty faculty at the institution you work at and that mm-hmm. I used to attend. The University of Toronto? Yes. Um, packages. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he's retiring. And then when he announced that he was retiring, I kind of had this, I had these like mixed feelings. A part of me wanted to now talk to him and be like, how do you feel about being a white archaeologist working in Asia? How do you feel about, you know, he actually posted all of these pictures of him in his younger days when he had like hair oh, wow. uh, in like the seventies when he was doing archeology span in Asia. And he's just, he's always that the tall white dude in every mm-hmm. single photo with all the Asians. Oh wow. And I always wanted to ask him how he felt about <laughs> that. Yeah. Now you can ask all those questions. Yeah. You could because you both had careers to protect or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and how he felt about that or how he feels about, you know, archeology span as a discipline. Cause mm-hmm. that's something that I always struggled with. Yeah. Yeah. It feels weird sometimes, you know, a, it's like, am I, contributing to society mm-hmm. and yes obviously yeah, and, and b is it like is this right yes is this right like it's, it's what we talk about with asians represent is mm-hmm. this right am i am i making space mm-hmm. for individuals who who belong to that culture to study it of course um i mean obviously i'm chinese and i worked in china mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and i still kind of felt this disconnect between me and my work yeah yeah but this is our conversation this I is what that. we're this is just Amar and Daniel time before we lead into Bashir and Daniel time. Which I'm really excited uh, about uh, because I uh, haven't heard it yet and I'm very much looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, it's it's good. And the reason why you haven't heard it yet is because I haven't edited it yet. <laughs> uh, it was supposed to come out in December, but then Jade came back yes. and we were like, okay, well, we don't talk to Jade. Yeah. I just do a whole episode and that episode just ended up being like four friends at dinner 
being like, I miss you, no, I miss you more. Uh, yeah, that was exactly how uh, uh, my Agatha and uh, Jade's dinner went as well. Uh, it was absolutely lovely to see her. And uh, though I am very happy for her, very excited about the new opportunities in England, I definitely miss her. Yeah, I really miss her, but she's, she's doing some real good. But we are going to be doing some stuff with Jade. Yes. So one of the things that Jade talked about a lot was the fact that there's not, we're not visible. Okay. You know, like our voices can be heard, you know, like your beautiful, sexy, smooth jazz voice. (laughs) You described it that way. Uh, I used to be on radio. Yeah. (laughs) Now you're on the internet. What? And like my deep voice. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't see our faces. That's right. And that's something that Jade said. Jade's like, yeah, we're representing in the podcast world. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're not being visible. Like, we're going to cons and we're yep. doing all these things. And, hey, we're going to go to D&D Live. Oh, my God. Boom. <laughs> I'm so excited We're going to do D&D Live. We're, we're in the early talks of doing an Asians represent show at D&D Live. Very cool. Um, but we're not visible on the regular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jade was like, well, why don't we start streaming? Yep. And so I've been testing out live streaming on Twitch. I've noticed. Uh, just on, you know, just my own channel, twitch.tv forward slash Quanobi. Yep. Um, <laughs> Quanobi. <laughs> I know. <laughs> awesome. But I've been like trying out Twitch streaming to see, you know, kind of get myself into a rhythm mm-hmm. so that we can try something awesome. on Twitch for Asians Represent. How we can, you know, better, you know, play games, mm-hmm. do discussions, yep. have, I mean, there are so many people we have to turn down because we just, we don't have, yeah. the, we don't have the time yeah. or the platform. We can't. That's a lot of work on our part. Totally. But a Twitch stream, once we set up a schedule and everything like that, it's like fairly easy to do. Totally. Yeah. That's going to be great. Uh, and I think uh, <clears throat> I'm a little self-conscious about that just because if we're recording our podcast doing the Twitch stream, <laughs> uh, all of the gaffes and the blunders will uh, be True. True. Forever but but maybe it's going to be more casual. Cool. Right? Maybe the, the format will be different. Maybe it's just, you know, you know us and Jay just hanging out and chilling, yeah. just being visible, making, yep. making content that maybe isn't as educational, mm-hmm. but is still being positive. Yep. Right. That and, sounds great. Yeah. yeah and, sounds like I mean, a great future direction for 2020. I, I think, I think that's what we have to do, right? I think we need to be more visible. We need to use our platform mm-hmm. for more good. Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. that's why, that's why today I, I did that tweet. Yes. Um, and I mean, I know that's one of the things we want to talk about. Do you want to mention uh, the tweet real quick? Or? Yeah, let's talk about the tweet real quick, and then we'll talk. We'll lead into the positives. We'll end with the positives. Because, Sounds good. You know, as we are recording this, preparations for the Spring Festival will start soon. Mm-hmm. And actually, by the time this comes out, preparations leading into the Spring Festival will um, have already begun. Yeah. Um, but today, so today is January the fifteenth. A oh. podcast. Who is it? It's the fifteenth, right? Yes. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. No, it's just I was I was going to comment on the 2020, which has I grew up in the 90s, so all of the near future, uh, you know, movies, it's going to happen here soon. You know, RoboCop, Blade Runner, all of the Terminator, all of these movies were always set like after 2010, 2020. <laughs> so I feel I feel like in a weird like in a weird like alternate universe future, while at the same time situated in my regular life. But Sarah started watching Black Mirror. Yeah. And I can't really watch that show because it creeps me out. Oh, yeah. It, like, deeply creeps me out. But I think because of when I was living in China, uh-huh. the whole, like, oh, the whole surveillance. cyberpunk shit. Oh, yeah? Like, it freaks me out. Yeah? Yeah, it really does. Tell me more. Man, you and your, you run with your psychology circle. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, it freaks me out because I, I don't. I don't like being watched, even yeah. though we do so much media. Yeah, but we get to choose. We get when to we choose are... when we're being watched. Yeah. And like, I know, like cyberpunk worlds and settings. It's like, 
Yeah, like there's no privacy. Those ads don't scare me. That's yeah. not scary. That's beautiful. That's the aesthetic. Yeah. The fashion is honestly super cool, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? But it's the fact that these mega corporations are taking over and doing all this crazy shit. Yep. Right, and we're starting to see it now. Yeah. Like in in the near cyberpunk future, it's not going to be like billboards with like sultry Asian women. It's just going to be fucking Mickey Mouse <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Right. It's going to be it's going to be Mickey Mouse and. I love Disney and I love Star Wars, obviously. Of course. Well, we um, love the properties. That we love the properties. The corporation. But exactly. Uh, so that's what terrifies me yeah. because like, you see that happening in China. You see that in Black Mirror where people have social scores. Mm-hmm. And now they have that in China. Yep. And we're slowly losing control. But that, that's what freaks me out. Um, how do we get I there? I totally get the anxieties about living in the weird future we live in now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You brought that yeah. up with the 2020 thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I totally have that anxiety. And then we're seeing like crazy cars. Oh, Yeah. Like, like, did you see that um, at the C? Cybertruck? Or... Well, there's the Cybertruck, but also Mercedes. Oh, no, I haven't seen Put Mercedes. out, like, a concept car that they've made in collaboration with James Cameron. Oh. <laughs> and James Cameron's most famous property, Avatar. <laughs> oh, right. That is his most famous property they, now. They, yeah, right? Oh, it's, I think I, it's the I Mercedes Vision AVTR. Okay. Um, oh, something no. like, look it up. That's look it up. Name. Um, but it's like... It's a, it's a, it's a car. <laughs> okay. It's like a car, but it's a concept. It's not actually a car that they're going to put out on the road, but it just looks like something from a cyberpunk game. It's got scales on the back. And when they actually did the show and they talked about it at CES, Whoa. it was like, they were literally talking about like, yes, and how the Navi interface with their banshees. Cause like, if anybody remember yeah. the name of those damn alien horses, they rode, <laughs> they right. stuck their ponytails in the horses you will interface with the car. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's just like, I was like, what the fuck? And then, of course, Sony unveils a car. Yep. Like, I mean, Tesla's already killing it. Yep, yep, yep. But, like, yeah, that stuff terrifies me. But yeah. anyways, back back no, to this, totally like, get that. back to the thing that happened today. Mm-hmm. So there is a D&D podcast who, who will be unnamed because I don't want to put their name on our platform. Yep. I don't want to give them that boost here. Yeah. But if you want to know who they are, just and, go to my Twitter. Right. Go to and, my Twitter. And maybe we give them an opportunity to maybe get reformed at some point or something. Exactly. Like, you, know? you know, it it is very possible. And I think when, when I actually shared their tweets, I was I was not angry. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is this is how it is. Yep. This is why you're wrong. And this is why you're being ignorant. Yep. But I wasn't like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? I'm just not going to listen to your shit. Yeah. And, and we've we've amongst the Asian Represent crew have talked frequently about the like amount of spoons you have to deal with this stuff. Yes, I have. Which we thank you. I have many. I'm I'm like the the, the appliances section of IKEA. <laughs> um, but this this D and D podcast is relatively small. They tweeted this today, and they said, uh, "Trust me, this community has a lot of people in it." who think there is a checklist you have to complete in order to have a sufficiently diverse and inclusive D&D game. The rest of us just think having fun on the table is the most important factor. Now, this was in response to somebody, like a a thread here, a very long thread that has like 175 responses um, to gatekeeping in the hobby, Mm -hmm. which we still see all the time. We still see it all the time. And so I saw this tweet and I saw like a lot of people that we that like kind of roll in the same circles as us talk about it. And I was like, you know what? That's kind of fucked up. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of fucked up. Like, because we kind of assume, and I mean, we, not we, but that person who tweeted 
kind of assumes that having, you know, a diverse cast is you actively trying to check off boxes. Right. Right. Not just having us at the table. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, so, I mean, that one very small part, I agree, because that's not what diversity is. It isn't, you know, checking off a checklist of, well, we've got the Asian and now all we need is if we can get a like Jewish, non, uh, non-gender binary conforming person with, or, or, with a disability, we've suddenly got the whole, like we've hit a trifecta or something like that, which yeah. is obviously the, the wrong approach there. 100%. Um, so that very small part, yeah, they're not wrong. But um, it's I, the way they said it. The way they said it and, and the way that they've been talking about the, the, well, actually, the way that they say the most important thing at a table is just having fun. And then they kind of, don't really like evaluate that critically. And I mean, that was a small C in this case, because mm -hmm. um, I definitely think thoughtfulness and self-reflection are really important values. And if you aren't considering, oh, I find this fun. Why do I find this fun? Well, you might be stepping into traps without realizing it in a certain kind of way. So I think that part was challenging, especially because when people started pushing on the, what do you, what do you mean, what do you, what do you mean by f having fun at the table rather than promoting diversity? And very quickly, what came out was, well, we want to have social cohesion. Yes, which just smacks of McCarthyism to me. Oh, uh, it just sounds so. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, first the implicit assumption that diversity inherently reduces uh, social uh, inclusion that is, or cohesion was just like that's let's, yeah yeah so let's let i'll read that quote and they said um let me posit a question to those who seem to misunderstand let's say your table is as diverse as it comes but nobody gets along and feels comfortable what's more important having them be there to be diverse or making sure it's comfortable and cohesive First of all, like let's 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 like unpack this. Yeah. First, first of all, like why the fuck are you all together then? Yeah. Like that. That's simply yeah. it. it. This this hypothetical that they've created just to, to try to point out something that they it feel makes is no sense. So yeah, like let's let's accept the let's call out the hypothetical for being as absurd as it is. But yeah, let's accept the premise for the moment and go on. Yeah. From there. So then the next bit is what you're talking about. What's more important? Having them be there to be diverse or making sure it's comfortable and cohesive. It assumes that diverse does not equal cohesive. Yeah. It's not equate. They, they just don't match up. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. It, yeah. I mean, I've had, <laughs> I've had tables, uh, games I've run or games I've played, uh, where it seemed like on paper every single person was exactly very similar. That didn't work. And then I've had tables which were on paper, again, in that sort of checklist fashion, which is deeply, deeply flawed. Yeah. Uh, you know, that worked, gelled really well because they were all good people who were like there to play. Uh, they, they all bought into the premise of the game and they all wanted to be there and do the same kind of thing. That works, right? Yeah, it's it's just not well thought out. And then they tweeted again. And this is the one that really struck a chord with me yeah. as like a Chinese person, especially with the Lunar New Year coming. Yeah. Right. So they said, they followed up with that. This was like in a, first of all, like, come on, dude, we're on tweet. But... They said, nobody here is saying diversity is bad. Stop virtue signaling this. Yeah. Right? I mean to say it should be the sole purpose of your game. Wait. I mean to say it should be the sole purpose of your game to make it as fun and comfortable for all parties. If that means you don't have a specific group present, then so be it. Not the end of the world or game. Okay. And that's the worst tweet. That is probably yeah. the most offensive thing that they've said. Yes. 
right? Because uh, that sounds almost. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Morrissey. <laughs> yes. Uh, who he, who is you know he just he's like I'm not a racist, but I just feel people are most comfortable hanging out with people of their own race, which kind of adds up to a similar thing. And that's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, first of all, saying nobody here is saying diversity is bad. Stop virtue signaling this. Yeah, which is I, I guess they're trying to sort of they're 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 doing a particular kind of thing. One is I'm just asking questions. Because there's a lot of question asking yeah. uh, without being like, I actually feel this is the case, but it's pretty clear what they're mm -hmm. saying. And the second part is, yeah, they're using, they're dropping, um, I guess, talking points that people are trying to use to counter the conversation around diversity and inclusivity, right? Virtue signaling has become a, a buzzword as a response. So, yeah, it's very tough yeah. to take. And the, the thing here for me is like, yeah, the purpose of your game should be to make it fun and comfortable for all parties. We agree. That's why we use safety tools. That's why, yes. you know, we have our show Bible. That's mm -hmm. why we, we talk. <laughs> like most of our recording sessions for Asians represent, and you can attest to this, oh, yes. are hours longer than the actual episode. Mostly oh, because yeah. we're just chatting before and after. Yeah. Right? The thing that they say here that completely undermines everything they say, because it just points to how fucking ignorant they are, is if that means you don't have a specific group present, then so be it. Ooh. That implies that an entire group, mm -hmm. by default, yeah. makes your game unfun and uncomfortable. Yes. And this is literally racism. Like, this is literal I'm not racism. Gonna care, I'm not going to care about the individual at all. I'm going no. to out, uh, I, because you, your people or people, whatever, yes. like your particular um, grouping of people uh, makes some other people at the table uncomfortable. And, you know, I mean, maybe this, this particular person is made uncomfortable by people at the table and they just don't want to admit it. Uh, we will not have that group at the table. Yeah, it's which like, is ah, just... Amar, you, I don't like your style of gameplay. It's unfun. It's too introspective. <laughs> You're too thoughtful and it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> no more South Asian people at my table. Ooh. That's what they said. Yeah, right? That's what they said. Which, I mean, I, you know, I saw a tweet a little while ago, which, which I really kind of st stood with me, stuck with me here. Like, it's important um, to, you know, hate the sin and, and, and not hate the sinner, uh, so to speak here. Like, you know, we all have deeply internalized uh, oppressive uh, attitudes and stereotypes and so forth. And it's kind of a constant effort to work through them. I've got a lot of them. Uh and this person, I really hope, realizes that, you know, the racist isn't, um, you know, like a mustache twirling, uh, like bad guy who says the N word and shoots people like the like we all have racist attitudes. And, it you know, like what they're saying really just kind of adds up to I want to exclude certain groups of people based on the totality of that group. Yeah. Which ooh, based on sorry, my comfort level or the comfort level of other people. And the they're perceive their perceptions of that group as well. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's exactly it. It's not even about the specific individual. Oh, no. hey, you know, uh, these people make games on fun. Yeah. Like, hey, Romesh, you know, you're a bit of a rules lawyer. Uh, you know, like it's not that it's. Well, no X category of people, which again is just because they're all rules lawyers. <laughs> they're saying it is oh, D&D content, right? It's, right? Yeah, which is just it's not great. It's it's not good, right? And not the end of the world or game. Mm -hmm. No, it is no. Yeah, it, it no. This is this is stupid. Um, I mean, this basically. I mean, they could have gone just just a little bit farther and be like, I don't like this group of people and they're not allowed on my table. They basically said that without identifying the group. Yeah. 
that that's kind of upsetting to see. Yeah. But that's also why this podcast exists. This podcast exists to be that positive voice, mm-hmm. yeah. right? To be be the voice to, I don't want to say stand up for our community because our community is capable of doing that with yeah, or course. without us. Yeah, of course. Right? But it's to be there, to be visible, mm-hmm. right? To fight for ourselves, mm-hmm. to inspire others. That's right. Right? I, I So, you know, at work, we, we have like, team meetings and all that and we Mm -hmm. had a meeting about company values and that's got me thinking about like what Asians represent is all about yeah and we're all about you know educating Mm -hmm. modeling Mm -hmm. and caring that's right right we're we're, we we love having conversations like this where we can educate our audience Mm -hmm. we love modeling good behavior we love modeling what an inclusive table looks like we love modeling you know what it's like to portray an Asian character oh yeah Right. Um, we love, you know, bringing our community together. That's, That's the right. care part. Yeah. And what I, what I really appreciate about, uh, I think there's one other thing we're modeling, uh, which is looking back at our like heritage, our cultures and so forth and figuring out how we want to interact with that in a new way as well. Right. Exactly. The way that you've taken, you've, you know, you've been inspired by sort of this earlier mythical time in China, uh, has been a really, really eye-opening thing for me to consider, okay, well, there's aspects of South Asian history and culture that I really, really love. And how can I gamify this? <laughs> Sorry, I don't, mean, I don't mean to say that in a mercenary way, but no. uh, just, yeah, like it's got me thinking about how can I how can I bring that and share that with my friends at the tables that I'm Yeah, at. and how can you educate us? Yeah. Right, because like not only are we trying to educate our audience with Asians represent, but we're trying to educate each other. Totally. Right, we we learn all the time yes. from each other about all, from our own unique experiences. Like mm-hmm. for Dungeons and to Asians, yeah. all four of us mm-hmm. are Asian, yeah. but we have such completely different experiences. Yes, like when you and Agatha were talking about coming to Canada. Oh yeah, and going to school. I, yep, and you know Steve was talking about le- learning about his his own family origins. Yeah, right. Yeah, and w- when we talk about like when we made our characters, like I am so excited to hear more about Waleed's homeland. Oh, yeah. And for us to eventually go there and have you take over as mm-hmm. GM. Oh, yeah. That because how cool would it be to have Dungeons and Asians and they'll have like two seasons in Shah yep. and then have two seasons in wherever and yep. just keep hopping from region to region in the Emerald Realms mm-hmm. and we just slowly put out this this big book. Whoa. Yeah. That'd right. be so cool. It'd be so cool. Right? Because I'm not the, the GM of Dungeons and Asians. We all four of us are. Oh, it's such a collaborative right? But process. I'm the lead right now. Yeah. Next, it might be you. It might be Agatha. It might be Steve. Totally. Depends on where our story goes. Yes. And I'm very excited about the potential that we get with all of this. Right? Yeah. And, and I mean, that respect is at the table. Mm-hmm. And that understanding that, hey, we're, we're fun and we're having comfortable. <laughs> we'll be comfortable. Well, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I get that from one perspective, we're all uh, not white. Uh, but from another perspective, we come from vastly different cultural backgrounds. And I know that, you know, if you're like really squinting your eyes, um, and you haven't had that much exposure to people in the world, you might say, oh, you're all kind of similar, but we're really not. So there's a lot of diversity at this table, even if it doesn't include any white people, Yeah, <laughs> uh, that still works really well. But we're not doing a checklist or anything. We're not no. like, oh yes, we have a South Asian person. We have a Chinese guy, but we also have a Taiwanese person. Yeah. Like, no, we're, we're not doing that. No, not at all. Right? We're just like, hey, you and I, obviously, from the moment we met. Oh, we clicked. We clicked. Yeah. 
like instantly. <laughs> it was at a gaming convention. That's right. It was at Breakout Con. Yeah. We're going to talk about it in a moment. And and then we met Steve at Breakout Con <laughs> the following right. year. And we were like, shit, we clicked too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And then oh, Steve's on the cast. Yes. Like we weren't, we're not hunting for people. We're no. not looking for, for quote unquote talent. No. We're just looking for people whose experiences augment our own. That's right. And and that's what sort of diversity, you know, quote unquote diversity TM is really about. Like at its best, it's about augmenting your experience of the world and learning and yeah. Yeah. And and to be honest, like when you experience when when you experience diversity, let's just put it that way, when mm-hmm. you uh, learn everybody else's unique experiences. And then not all Chinese people are the same. No. Not all South Asian people are the same. Their not experiences vary so vastly. Mm-hmm. But when you ex- when you put yourself forth to all of that, your world becomes so much better. It becomes so much richer. Yes. And you become so much better. Yeah. So much better. And honestly, just like learning about other cultures, think of how much better it makes you as a GM. Yeah, of course. Learning different kinds of stories, learning different kinds yeah. of... Narratives, it just makes such a big Honestly, difference. I will say that, you know, with what's going on in the media right now with Southwest Asia, mm-hmm. uh, like with Iran and all that, yeah. like, I will say that, like, the time that I spent living in, air quotes, the Middle East, mm-hmm. Southwest Asia, yeah. was incredibly enriching. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I would have been so eager to do an episode with Bashir mm-hmm. had I not been living in, you know, a Muslim country. Mm-hmm. Had I not been exposed to that wonderful, wonderful culture and religion, yeah, had I, you know, it, my time spent there wouldn't have, you know, prompted me to get a job working for a Muslim nonprofit. That's right. I, I, I mean, that's crazy that I had that job. Yeah, and they hired me because I had a different perspective, mm-hmm. but I had a respect for Islam. Yes, right, and like all the all the experiences I had there, you know. Deeply, deeply inspired what we're doing with Dungeons and Asians. That's right. And Asians represent. And same thing with your unique experiences. Oh, I yeah. don't have those. Yeah, exactly. Right. And yeah, that's what makes life amazing. Because I mean, it, I mean, I can't imagine sort of you know the arrogance of the position. Well, I already know everything that I need to know. It's like no, there's a whole world out there. You got to learn about it. I mean, you, you you know, we often do sort of we escape into these fantasy worlds in order to experience and learn about different lives and different worlds and so forth. Well, you can just do that in real life as you well. You can do that in real life. But, you know, like I think a part of the allure of escaping into these fantasy worlds, if you're doing it ethically, mm-hmm. like what we're trying to, to model, mm-hmm. is that you can have these conversations and you can experience these, you know, deeply rooted cultural experiences mm-hmm. in a safe, low-risk environment. Yes. Right? It's the same thing with, you know, social skills and autism mm-hmm. in RPGs. Yes. Like when we did Masks and when Agatha did that, we just, we all brought out our family issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? We all brought out our family issues but <laughs> and our own experiences, mm-hmm. but we talked about it. We kind of mm-hmm. put that out onto the table. Yes. And everybody kind of helped. We all worked through it. Like, yeah. obviously, Tommy, Tommy is, like, so very similar to my own experiences with my family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I call yeah. it therapy at the table. Exactly. Uh, but I, I wanted to kind of hard segue into another thing, a more positive thing than from what we were encountering on Twitter. Because mm-hmm. also, I don't know if you saw what Stephen King said too. Uh, I think I, it scrolled by my newsfeed. Do you want to hit me with it quickly? Yeah, I'll I'll pull it up. Um, Stephen King said, dot, 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 I would never consider diversity in matters of art, only quality. It seems to me that to do otherwise would be wrong. 
Right. Um, I appreciate that Stephen King uh, may be a very good horror writer, uh, but he is not an arts or sociology theorist. Not at uh, all. And, and I want to make it clear, I'm not either, but I have read a bit in this. And like my initial uh, thought when I saw that was, was to shake my head and go, oh, you're not familiar with a book called Distinction. What, uh, what is that book? I don't know. Yeah, it's called uh, Distinction, A Social Critique of the Judgment of Taste. Oh, okay. Uh, so the first thing I thought of when I read that tweet was I shook my head a bit and I was like, oh, right. Stephen King is a very, very good author and so forth, but he's not an arts or sociology theorist. And, and to be fair, I'm not either. Right. But, you know, I've done a bit of reading in this in this area. Just too. a bit. Um, and uh, <laughs> it made me immediately think of a book. Uh, uh, it was uh, called Distinction, A Social Critique of the Judgment of Taste. By Pierre Bourdieu, I believe. I apologize if I mispronounce well, it. The listeners French. can look up the uh, the title. That's right. So when it comes to arts, it's not really a matter of quality; it's a matter of taste. And taste, in this case, he makes his point. Uh, sorry, the the thesis of the book can be summar summarized in this kind of statement, which is um, what is considered good taste is. Uh, is merely the preferences of the people with cultural capital. Okay, makes sense. So, you know, the reason why we think of, uh, say, like classical music as being uh, higher brow than, you know, whatever, rock music, punk music, or, um, you know, more, uh, or, or, you know, we pop think it's... Music a, and, pop music. Pop yeah. music, sure. Or um, uh, I, I remember the backlash against... Uh, Shoot, what was that electronic genre? That oh, was dubstep? Dubstep, right. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you can consider, or just like the difference between say, Scorsese, right? Scorsese mm -hmm. making a comment about the Marvel uh, movies, which yeah, I yeah. think was mis uh, misunderstood a little bit or misrepresented a little bit. But, um, you know, like there's Scorsese movies. He is making cinema. And there's <laughs> like the pop stuff you go to the Marvel movies for or something like that. John genre. Wick. Yeah, right. <laughs> Generally, genre stuff is considered lower brow than like high art, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so... Uh, uh, Pierre Bourdieu makes this point in his book that actually, and this is one of the, you know, one of the uh, best known books in sociology and basically make the point that, well, actually what we think of as art is actually just the pe people often with money. Um, so like literal capital or people with um, cultural capital. So, you know, people who have like high levels of education or who are in other ways anointed by various um, institutions. Well-traveled. Well yeah, well-traveled. Yeah, or they have PhDs. Yeah, which, titles. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you've been through the PhD process enough to know. You know how know. I feel about that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to give you any... No, that's okay, here, but, that's okay. Um, you know, you know, like, a lot of that is about tenacity, and a lot of that is about uh, making yourself acceptable to the academic institution. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the point of the book. And so when I read, you know, Stephen King's tweet, and he's saying, well, it's only about quality. It's like, well, no, art is subjective. So what you're talking about when you call it quality is taste. And then when it's taste, it's merely the preferences of the people who are tastemakers, right? Exactly. And so I was like, this this tweet is obviously, you know, damaging uh, to whatever degree to people who actually, you know, are concerned about these issues, um, which is to say everybody, I think. Yeah. Uh, but it's also just, I think deeply deeply misled like i think it's just incorrect not incorrect but i think that it's very uh yeah in like doesn't go the right way on on thinking about this stuff no i think you're right i mean it, you you say it's a matter of taste right mm -hmm. and i think when it comes down to taste then it's just personal preference mm -hmm. and then if it's personal preference then you're just excluding people this is the same yeah. conversation that we're having with with this podcaster oh yeah totally it, yeah. it's the same thing right it's yeah. what is fun mm-hmm Right. I'm not going to say comfort because comfort is very different. Mm -hmm. But like what is fun mm -hmm. 
And if you're if you say, well, Asian people, for instance, mm-hmm. not saying that this person said Asians, but I'm going to say it. Yeah. Uh, Asian people make my gaming table unfun. Therefore, right. no Asians are allowed. If you can't be at the table, like if you're shut out of being in that table, yeah. if you're shut out of winning an Oscar, yes. if you don't have the opportunity to be in the conversation, mm-hmm. you can never win the award. That's right. Right? And so in saying that, like diversity, he, he's basically saying that you know, we can't aim for diversity because he doesn't want everybody included. Right. Yeah. Which is just, yeah. Uh, yeah, basically. That's, it, it, that's adds basically up to it. Same, it adds up to the same thing. Um, even if he's not actually sort of saying literally those words, it adds up to the same thing. Yeah. He's, he's saying that basically like what would be a diverse, mm-hmm. you know, uh, group of nominees does mm-hmm. not fit his palette. Yeah. His perception of what is a quality roster of Oscar nominees. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to go all old man shaking his fist at the cloud here, but you know, like maybe some of this stuff is just, you don't really kind of get what the new stuff is like in some ways. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but somebody with his cultural capital, he should be, he should know. He should be a bit more responsible in wielding it, I think. He 100% should be. Um, now, on a, on a more positive note, this this episode kind of, yeah, this is coming at a time of great change mm-hmm. because this episode will come out you know, in time for the Lunar New Year. Yes. <laughs> it's time for the Lunar Now, I had the wonderful experience of you know, being in China during the Lunar New Year in 2016. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most life-changing experiences of my life. Wow. A, because I was there to do academic work, and I didn't know that the Lunar New Year basically occupied three weeks. <laughs> and I didn't get any shit done. Of course. I, I wasted a month of funding. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I was like, I can't do anything. <laughs> because China shut down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this, because it's based on like the moon, mm-hmm. right? So you you asked earlier before we started mm-hmm. recording, what's the difference between like Chinese New Year and mm-hmm. the Lunar New Year and mm-hmm. like all these different terms, right? Yeah. So the Chinese New Year is based on the Chinese lunar calendar mm-hmm. and the lunar calendar is based on the cycles of the moon phases. Yes. So the Chinese New Year marks the start of a new lunar year. Right. So the Chinese New Year is the start of the lunar new year. That's right. Okay. So they're like the very similar thing. Yes. Um, but the Chinese New Year is a more culturally prescribed way of celebrating the start of the new Lunar New Year. Oh, okay. So it's actually broken down to, I had to like write things down so I had it all in my head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, based on what I've experienced because there are so many things that I just haven't experienced. Yeah, of course. Um, because, I mean, it, different parts of China celebrate things very differently. Mm-hmm. I celebrated it in the south yeah? of China. Like, What I, was that like? Oh, it was cool. So this year, preparations for, for the New Year's actually begin on January 17th. Right. So January 17th, people start preparing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people will be off work and school mm-hmm. for when the new year starts. Mm-hmm. And then it officially starts on January 25th this year. It's okay. the year of the rat. Right. January 25th, um, it ends the previous Lunar New Year, mm-hmm. and we enter a period called the Spring Festival. Ooh. So it goes from January 25th mm-hmm. to February 4th. Okay. And during so it's like this a time, little over a week, yeah, yeah it's a little over a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people are preparing for it. When you're in China, there's just all these pop-ups open up, and they're just selling everything red and gold. Oh, nice! Everything red and gold. Yeah. And practically every activity during this time period, from January 25th to February 4th, during the Spring Festival, has a purpose of removing the old mm-hmm. and welcoming the new. That's really cool, right? Yeah. So, for instance, here in North America, my family was like, "Okay, we're not allowed to clean the house." 
<laughs> on New Year's mm-hmm. or after New Year's. You have to clean the house before. Oh, okay. Because you're cleaning the house and you're getting rid of that old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when all when when you engage in all of these ritual activities during mm-hmm. the New Year's Eve and on New Year's, you're bringing in wealth and prosperity and blessings. And if you clean your house, you get rid of all of it. Oh, the same with like getting a haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And doing things like that. Yeah, you don't I, want I, to do that. Yeah, I, I really like that symbolism. That's really I, cool. I, I I love it. So like yeah. I always like clean the day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm doing all the laundry, cleaning all the extra linens before mm-hmm. New Year starts. Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't want to get rid of that good fortune. And there are also a lot of things that we've experienced here, but Toronto City regulations would prevent you from doing a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> like one of the things that I experienced was just like the sheer volume of firecrackers. <laughs> like uh, I have this. So I, I used to like make YouTube videos when I was traveling. I'll mm-hmm. share them on our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash AZNS represent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have this video clip of me in Guangzhou mm-hmm. and walking around with my friend Kim at night. And then all of a sudden, I thought we were getting shot at. And people weren't, like, shooting fireworks into the sky. They were ground-level fireworks. And they were going off, like, like gunshots. Oh, yeah. And I immediately start filming on, like, my, like, crappy point-and-shoot camera. (laughs) And these things were so loud. Mm -hmm. And they were just... Fireworks just constantly going just off. Everywhere. It's like, I have some fireworks. I will set them off now during the day, <laughs> during the night. Yep. I remember waking up and next to the like my window in the apartment, mm-hmm. there were scorch marks on my window because, <laughs> I mean, there's no regulation. Right. And people were shooting fireworks and they were hitting the buildings. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I've been in in Pakistan uh, during some of these uh, uh, festivals and stuff and it is nuts how many it's, it's fireworks nuts. are out there. Right. It's yeah. nuts. And so... There's fireworks and red decorations everywhere. Mm-hmm. But these all have um, deeply uh, – these are all deeply rooted in the mythology and folklore. Yeah. And actually, the reason for the fireworks and the red decorations mm-hmm. is so kind of related to something that we're doing in Asians represent. Yeah? So we, you know how in the latest like episode – Like in Dungeons and Asians? Yeah, Dungeons and Asians. Nice. Okay. You know how we talked about like Koi the Vanquisher, mm-hmm. the shadow tigress, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. one who banished the demons to the underworld? Yes. Right? Yeah. So that's actually very similar to multiple characters in Chinese mythologies. But in ancient times, there's this one tale of a monster called the Nian. And it's like a sea monster. It's kind of like part dragon, part Kirin. Kirin are like these, like, like a reptilian unicorn-like creature. Oh, interesting. They're scary. Oh, okay. Right? So it's oh, like a, one of these a sea monster. Oh, sea cool. Sea serpent. Yeah. Um, and every day on the New Year, it would come and it would actually feast on living things animals Mm -hmm, humans mm -hmm. right and so since it was from the sea all the people they would retreat to the mountains to hide from it to be far away from the water right so that i could wreak havoc but not kill anybody Mm -hmm. and one year while everybody was retreating to the mountains a beggar ventured into all these towns Mm -hmm. and a beggar came in who was just looking for shelter Mm -hmm. and saw that it was abandoned Mm -hmm. and so he busied himself he decorated all the houses red and he set off fireworks during the night. Mm-hmm. And when the villagers returned to to see what the monster had done, they found that it had done nothing. Oh. And that their houses had been beautifully decorated by this beggar. And they found that the fireworks and the beautiful mm-hmm. like um, red decorations actually scared this beast away. Oh, that's... So fireworks are symbolic of scaring evil away. Yeah. Right? And of course, like, 
the 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 red decorations with the calligraphy are mm-hmm. meant to scare like the supernatural away. Mm-hmm. Where, and there are legends of tigers who would prowl the night, hunting demons and sending them to the underworld. Cool. Things like that. So this this Koi the Vanquisher is actually a hero who brought peace into mm-hmm. Xia. Yeah. And now in our story, this peace isn't about to end. Yes. <laughs> Very dramatic. <laughs> this, this piece is about to oh, end. Oh, that's really cool mythology. I like that. Yeah, it's sweet. And then there are, of course, like things that I really love, and it's the food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, and the food itself is... Deep, tied very deeply to the mythology as well. Of course. Specifically dumplings. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we got to do Dungeons and Dining. We got to do Dungeons and Dumplings, apparently. Dungeons and Dumplings. <laughs> we should make dumplings. Ooh. Because if we make dumplings, yeah. we can make them halal. Ooh, exciting. That way, I, all of yeah. us can do it. That's we'll That would be amazing. We should, do, we should live stream making dumplings. Oh, I'd love to learn how to make proper dumplings. That sounds awesome. Oh, we should do that. We'll just make a whole bunch of dumplings and we'll freeze them all and then everybody gets to take home dumplings. Ah, oh, that'd be let's amazing. Let's do that. Yes, let's do that. Um, and we'll do that on our Twitch channel. Yes. <laughs> um, but so so there's a kind of dumpling that you eat. Mm-hmm. Some say that on the fifth day of the New Year, so I guess five days after January 25th, mm-hmm. you're supposed to eat jiaozi. Okay. Uh, that's like a kind of dumpling. It's the kind of dumpling that you've seen. Okay. Jiaozi is like a class of dumpling. Mm, okay. Like you can fry them, boil them, steam them, okay. all that. But jiaozi are very important to eat yeah. because they're symbolic of the goddess Nuwa. Okay. So Nuwa is, is like the creator. Right. Okay, so she created humans out of clay. Mm, mm-hmm. But she was worried that the most delicate part of our bodies, the ears, would fall <laughs> off when we got cold. <laughs> so what she did was she sewed our ears, our clay ears, mm-hmm. onto our bodies and put the string in our mouth so that they could never fall off. Okay. So what people do is we make dumplings in her honor. Well, that's where the tradition came out of making dumplings out of her honor because when you fold the dumplings, mm-hmm. they look like ears. Oh, they do. Yeah. Oh. Some people also say the dumplings look like gold ingots. So a symbol of wealth, but also an honoring a creator goddess. Cool. I've never seen a gold ingot, so I can't uh, they, they, speak to that. They, Actually, that might not be you, true. You've definitely seen, they, look like, they look like paper boats. Oh, I have seen a gold ingot. Uh, and I actually saw it very recently, but we'll come back to that in a moment. I want to go back to that. But but that's why you eat dumplings. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in China during years, I loved dumplings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I ate dumplings every fucking day. <laughs> every day. Like when I was in Guangzhou in the south, um, like I ate dumplings with my friend. But the, the biggest meal I had on New Year's Day was I ate a whole duck. Like I ate, literally ate a whole duck. <laughs> I ate a whole duck. This wasn't like a small duck. It was, it was like, like this it was big. A, it was a proper size it duck. A proper, it was a proper duck. <laughs> like I have a friend, uh, bless her. She's the pickiest eater I've ever met. Like she only, she I can count the things that she'll eat on the regular on like my hands. Oh, wow. <laughs> like shake and bake chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, chicken chow mein, but only with chicken gravy and the noodles. Okay. Uh, like chocolate chip muffins. Okay. Cheetos oh. and mac and cheese. Okay. That isn't adding up to a super healthy diet. Not a super healthy right. diet, but somehow she's inexplicably, inexplicably super thin. Oh, okay. Um, we went out for Chinese New Year and she loves Peking duck. Mm. Have you ever had it? I have not. So Peking duck is they, they roast a duck, mm-hmm. but they actually serve the uh, the outer layer of this crispy skin, delicately okay. crispy skin, okay. with meat and fat. Oh, and they take and you put on these like, um, like a like a flatbread, like very like a taco almost. I was okay. with Sarah had it for the first time. We just called it tacos, right? Mm-hmm. And with like sauce, scallions, oh. and cucumber. And it's a very delicate and expensive meal because you're paying for the whole duck. Of course, yes. So she would only eat the outer part. <laughs> <laughs> but when you order a Peking duck, yeah. 
they serve, they, they bring out the whole duck for you. They carve it up for the skin and for the delicate part of the meal, the fancy part. Mm-hmm. And then they take the rest of the duck and they turn it into other dishes. Oh. Well, look who ate the other dishes. <laughs> Me. <Yeah. laughs> and I ate a whole duck. But when oh. I was in Shanghai, there was a noodle, a dumpling place across the street from my apartment. Mm-hmm. And they served you dumplings in a plastic bag. They would literally make it there and soup. <laughs> pour it into a plastic bag and stick that plastic bag into a styrofoam cup. Nice. <laughs> and I would just go get dumplings every day. That's awesome. Like, I loved Chinese New Year's. But I didn't know it kept going because after New Year's, right? Uh, so February 4th is the end of the Spring Festival right. this year. Yep. February 5th, preparation starts for another thing. <laughs> the Lantern Festival. Ooh. Okay, so February 5th. To the 8th, which is the day of the Lantern Festival. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's another celebration. Mm-hmm. Except this one's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Right? Obviously, we know Chinese you get lucky money and all that. But the Lantern Festival is a celebration of reunions. Oh, yeah. It's a celebration of family gatherings. Oh, that's so sweet. It's a time when, you know, everyone gets together. There's lion dancing. There's dragon dancing. And people go onto the streets to, you know get blessings, give blessings, and mm-hmm. reconnect under the moon because you light lanterns. Oh. But historically, it was also a time when, like, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate, but, like, um, because of the historical context of this, mm-hmm. but it's, the, like, one of the only times that women were allowed out of the house. Oh, yeah. Right, which, yeah. It's, it's shitty. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it was a time when everybody can be together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it's a time to eat a different kind of food called tangyuan, and it's like a glutinous rice dumpling. They're like about that big, like the size Ooh. of a golf ball. Are they sweet or savory? They're sweet. Ah, I think I've had those. You And they have like filling inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you serve I've it in those. like boiled water or maybe a, like a light syrup. Yeah, yeah. And they often yeah. have like um, like red bean or black sesame paste inside. Ooh. Or a syrup, literally yeah. a syrup inside. Like a syrup, yeah. And they look like moons. They're supposed to look the like moon the cakes. moon cakes. Well, not moon cake. Oh, different. sorry. That's I different. Yeah. Uh, moon, moon cakes you've probably had. They're super dense. Yeah. And like you cut it in this egg. Yes. This is different. Tangyuan is like... But I think I've had Tangyuan. I think it was introduced to me as mooncakes, which uh, clearly was inaccurate. I mean, it's a it's a symbol of the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me pull up a picture for you. But yeah, yeah. So, like... so they look like... I, I'm pretty sure you've you've probably had something like this. Oh, yeah. This is a perfect picture here. Um, oh, yeah. I've had that. Yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. with black sesame. Yes. And I actually had that with like my surrogate family when I was in China. There. Oh yeah, I stayed in an Airbnb and I lived in their attic. <laughs> <laughs> I slept on a mattress in their attic for a month, <laughs> and they invited me down one day for Tangyuan for the Lantern Festival, mm-hmm. and we had this. We we shared this meal, and it was it was really really nice. Mm-hmm. But this was on in twenty sixteen, and that was on February twenty second. Mm-hmm. But this year it's going to be on February the eighth. Oh okay, yeah. So Chinese New Year is this like. It's like a month-long... It's like a month-long thing. <laughs> That's right. Not Chinese New Year. The Lunar, Lunar New Year, Year but yeah. in China. Yes. It's like a month-long thing where you just kind of get together, eat good food, but follow tradition. Like, you can't break things. You can't drop things. Right. There are lots of where you can't clean on certain times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's these cultural experiences that I, I wish everyone could experience. Like, I wish... I hope we can... We'll find a place to go out and have food like this because we have to eat chowchow. Oh, yeah. We have to have dumplings. Well, yes. Either we make them or we find a place that makes halal. Yes. Uh, there's a couple of like halal sort of Chinese food restaurants in the city yeah. popping up. So Let's do it. Yeah. Right? Um, but also, I think learning about these experiences through the lens of Dungeons and Asians is mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. It's so important. Um, and... 
the last thing I want to do is I want to ask you a question before this episode segues into our, our interview with Bashir. Mm-hmm. Is I want to ask you, we've got Breakout Con coming up. Yeah, we do. Do you know the dates for Breakout Con? I think Ooh. it's it's the March break weekend. I think it's March 19th. Um, we should we should have had this already. Um, but Breakout Con is coming up in March, and it's March 20th to the 22nd. Mm-hmm. We're going to be there. The Asians mm-hmm. Represent crew are going to be there as guests. Yep. But we haven't decided what we're going to do. Ooh, I have some ideas. What do you want to do at Breakout Con? I want to end with this. I want to do a live show. A live show of us talking or D&D? I mean, we should do it. We should do Dungeons and Asians at Breakout Con. That's what we I like do. that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Like a, a special episode where we play as, um, or should we have Kiana on? Should we bring back the Empress? Oh my God, the Empress come back? Oh, because you know oh, what? Oh, with Ning? Oh no. <laughs> well, it depends on where our story's going. Oh, I know. It's just going to be us being like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Oh, no. Gonna, <laughs> so much dungeon. Well, we're going to have to have a mic next to Kiana because she talks in that sultry voice. Mm. We're going to have a room full of people. We have to right. get the mic her up. <laughs> That's a good idea. So do a live Dungeons and Asians. That'd be fun. We we need to then plan where our campaign's going to be leading up until March. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Unless it's a flashback. Uh, yeah. Maybe we could just do a flashback because yeah, and then it's a bit easier to get all the cast who are there into you know you know what I mean. Because it could be a flashback because you could play one of the the dukes. Mm, I did you enjoy did such that. a good job. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and then Agatha hasn't had a chance to role play with Kiana yet. Mm, so maybe we'll do yeah. that. That sounds uh, like so much I fun. want to do a panel. Yes, let's hear about. Your I want panel. to do a panel, but I think I want to do it specifically about like D and want to do Asian themes, mm-hmm. but I want to kind of use it as I want to time it so that we do this panel, mm-hmm. and then we say, "Hey, tomorrow or later this afternoon, yeah. we do a live show." Yeah, because often you see panels on like introducing Asian themes to RPGs or designing Asian themes into RPGs, mm-hmm. but then they never show it. In, excuse me, you burped. Um, you, you, they never show it in practice. Mm-hmm. I want us to do a panel. Yep. I want us to talk about these themes. Mm-hmm. And then I want us to actually show people what it's like. Oh, yeah. And I, I think, well, you've done enough education to have this perspective that you have to model things for people to get them. Yeah. And so I somehow really want cool. to involve the audience, though. Yeah. Uh, for the, to the panel? No, to the, the game. Oh, the game. Uh, we could take votes. Instead of rolling dice, we have the audience vote one way or the other. Let's do that. That's a great idea. Thank you. I want to do that, and then I want to do a meetup again. Yeah, so we did that last year, and there were like, yes. there were so many people who came. It was so yeah, it was so much fun. We ordered we met pizza. so many cool people. Everybody brought cool. snacks. Yep, it's where we got to know Steve. That's right. Um, but I think if we do a meetup this year, I want to actually put a bit more structure to it. Yes, I want to do an Asian snack potluck again. Yes, because that was so much fun. Maybe we can get in like a room for that. Maybe maybe we can get a room. We'll figure that out. Yeah. But I also want us to play games. Yes. So I played this game Ooh, at, at Big Bad Con. Mm-hmm. It's called um, A is for Asian. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want to. Have a, I think. It, um. Please be right. I don't want to have made that up. Um. Oh God, I might have mismade that up. Uh, uh, well, if you're if that popped out of your brain, I feel like that would sell. So you should make a game. <laughs> called A is for Asian. No, it's A is for exist. average. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, it's called A is for average. Um, and it's like Cards Against Humanity. Ooh, okay. Except it covers Asian themes and Asian experiences. Oh, okay. That sounds really cool. And it's 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 structured the literally mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. exact same mm-hmm. way. There's the mm-hmm. voting, you're placing mm-hmm. the cards, there's a judge. Mm. But it's all Asian experiences. Mm-hmm. But when we played it at Big Bad Con... Played it with a room full of like people from different parts of Asia. And often when we were playing the game, we'd be like, I don't get this card. And then everybody <laughs> in the room would be like, okay, well, 
what card do you have? And we, we read it out and we were like, oh. And then one person was like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. And then we'd explain it to each other. And then, of course, of course the card would be invalid. <laughs> right. But we would learn about other Asian yeah. experiences. But what was neat was when we first started playing it, shout out to, to Lemmy, Lucky Hand Dice, nice, for, yes. for bringing the game. Yep. I can't believe it said A's for Asian, A's for average, which is still a deeply Asian title. <laughs> still a deeply Asian title. Um, uh, a couple of like white people started joining us. Mm-hmm. Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, came and joined us, and Joe uh, Simone. No, not Jody Simone. Oh, okay. Um, Joe Sando. Okay. Um, just Joe Sando on Twitter. Right. But Joe is super cool. We mm-hmm. met for the first time at Big Bad Con, and Joe came and I was like, "Yo, you want to join us?" And Joe's white. Yeah. And we had an amazing game together. That's awesome. And then we ended up playing it on the very last day of Big Bad Con mm-hmm. in a room full. Of, there was like twelve Asian people, <laughs> yeah. and then there was. Um, POC and TTRPGs. Oh, awesome. I don't know if they're public with their first name, so I won't say it. Right, but I really want to meet them. They're super cool, and yeah. this will happen. Yes. And um, they, uh, obviously, they're, they're black. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? We're just going to play the. He was like, oh, I don't know if I want to play this. Yeah. And I was like, you're more than welcome to watch. He's like, but, but I wanted to hang out. I was yeah. like, you know what? You hang out with us, you're more than welcome to play it. Like, come on in. Mm-hmm. It's a learning experience. Mm-hmm. And I came and played. <laughs> Yeah. And what was cool was that they were like, these experiences aren't exclusively Asian. These are my experiences too. Yeah, of course. And we had this big cultural exchange. Mm-hmm. And I want us to play this game at Breakout Con. I feel like that experience alone, not that you needed to contradict the like the tweet that we were talking about earlier, but that experience alone like disqualifies the hypothetical scenario that that tweet, uh, the series of tweets we were talking about earlier right. uh, was saying about diversity versus fun. You can have both. Yeah. And so I want us to play this game. I want us to get everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So I want to have games being played at this meetup. Yeah. So right now great. we have D&D live show. Mm-hmm panel live show yep meetup oh my game that's gonna be a busy weekend i think those three things are enough right i'm gonna have to save up my extroversion chips for that yeah i'm gonna be yourself (laughs) i'm not okay i'm not so you know i'm not super extroverted i know i'm teasing i'm not Mm -hmm. although everybody thinks i am uh me too because (sighs) because people only ever see us in extroverted context like if there's another human being in the space you're extroverting Right. True. So they don't, you know, like I throw, uh, good, you know, good size uh, events and, and uh, parties do. and so forth. Uh, and what people don't see is like the next, you know, four days I will spend not talking to a single soul. Because your energy's out. Yeah. I yeah, spent all my here. extroversion chips and I need to time to introvert. And yeah. Like... I will probably be spotted napping against a wall at breakout. <laughs> um, speaking of throwing parties, do we mm. want to end with an update on your cinema? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, I know you really want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. So, yes, I, I, I took the holidays. I had, a, I had a little break there uh, to turn a spare room into a theater. A theater. Uh, and I am going to announce the name for it uh, is the Cinemar. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my uh, God. I was going through a lot of different names, and then I hit on this one, and I was like, obviously, this is the name. Uh, and yeah, no, it's amazing. So I, I, I used to be involved in filmmaking and I love movies. Uh, filmmaking was fun, but I wanted to make rent instead. And so I became a <laughs> uh, university bureaucrat, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so hey, you have a good job. I have a great job. It allows me to have a spare room and also be able to buy theater, um, equipment. I got a, I got a projector from this sweet old lady who only drove it on the weekends. Uh, and I got a, uh, so I've, this projector is projecting a four and a, sorry, a seven and a half foot wide image. Which is you know decent size. That's decent size. Yeah, it's 105 inches diagonal, I believe, uh, and a, a 4.1 surround sound system. 
which has been just amazing. Um, so I have been having a great time in this completely light sealed room uh, where I, I uh, the first week I had it, I just did not talk to another soul, which I realized was <laughs> super good. That's what happened when I got my new computer. Oh, yeah. I only talked to people online. And it was <laughs> only when we were playing the games. Yeah, I just saw it. That is a, such a sleek, all-black setup. I like it. I want to see a theater. Yeah, of course. Maybe like Come a over. mystery science theater. Ooh, we could. Uh, you know what I've been doing is I've been watching, uh, appropriately enough, Bollywood movies. Um, and which Are you going to talk about that thing? You're not going to talk not, about that thing? Not yet. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So, but I have been watching Bollywood movies in preparation for a thing. Uh, and uh, it's just been like, yeah, you should come over and we should do like a, I wanna, a screen egg. I, ha- I don't think I've seen too many Bollywood movies. Yeah, right? So come on over. We'll watch some, like, some of the really good ones. Nice. Nice. Now, if you, dear listener, are uh, have any movie recommendations for us to watch in the cinema. <laughs> oh, that came out so naturally. I know, right? It's Ugh. it's so good. <laughs> Dungeons and Asians, cinema, Dungeons and Dining, Dungeons and Dumplings. That's yeah. a shirt. Uh, Dungeons and Dumplings is a shirt. That is that shirt. is the Asians represent shirt. That's the shirt. One of the shirts. Yeah. It's like a it's like a dumpling, mm-hmm. but instead of being filled with meat, it's a it's dice. Is a D20. Ooh, okay. Uh, or the Ds are dumplings. Shit. They're like, yeah. The D- oh, damn. Yeah. Damn. I'm the idea guy. You're the, <laughs> the idea guy. Um, we will be doing this year, we will be doing clothing. Yeah. We will be doing apparel. Yep. We're going to do some stuff. Totally. It's going to be great. Yeah. But if you have movie recommendations to watch at the cinema, yeah. please let us know. Hit us up. Uh, speaking of that, oh, yes. uh, I am specifically looking for movies from uh, all of the world. Um, and cinemas of all over, all over the world. So if you have like great movies and, you know, if I can get, you know, English subtitles, that'd be good. But if you've got like amazing movies from whatever uh, different, you know, countries of origin or cultures of origin, definitely hit me up with that. I have not watched Parasite yet. I haven't seen it either. I really want, and I really to. want to watch it. Yeah. yeah. We still have to go see 1917. We do. Which I will uh, figure out a time. By the way, if I can give a quick plug, uh, it's oh, 1917 for reference is uh, the recent World War One uh, movie that is shot. Uh, it's edited to look like it's one continuous it's shot. Nominated for an Oscar. It is uh, for editing, I think. I'm not sure, but uh, I just know it's nominated. Yeah, and it's uh, by Sam Mendes, uh, and it's a uh, and uh, actually there's a good little bit in there about Asian representation, uh, which is to say, um, you know, a lot of these sort of World War One, World War Two movies uh, tend not to include the world it's just all um, white people <laughs> yeah. let's just say it as it is yeah basically right um and uh, there's actually like uh there's a, a sikh soldier in it and it, it's not just like oh there's a sikh soldier they it's actually kind of an interesting they little like side character yeah like a, it's a small part like it's very much a, a, a one two person uh movie but they have as big a part as anybody else yeah because there's only this the two core characters yeah. one one of them is a, a was it, one of them is a Lannister from Game of Thrones. Oh, is that right? One of the main guys was in Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, cool. I haven't seen yeah. it. Uh, I'm not super into it. Yeah. I tried watching The Witcher too. Uh, yeah, I got through The Witcher. I haven't watched it all yet. Yeah. I only watched the first episode. Action's yeah. cool. Special effects are yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I'm, it's, I find it really, really uh, uh, off-putting though because it's uh, Superman doing Batman's voice. He actually does the voice really well though. Yeah. that's the voice from the video game. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, he does it really well. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I'm Geralt. I can't even do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Geralt. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, um, I think he's a very good actor who gets keeps getting pigeonholed in these like actiony roles, but he's actually a very good actor. Like he can actually. Oh yeah. <laughs> when he reloads Re- his biceps. Reloading the biceps in Mission Impossible. Uh, I saw that after you like highlighted it. Every time me. you see it. Uh, I went back and just watched the GIF a whole lot for some reason. There's yeah. just something about it that's just. Uh, you just know. like how do you? 
you just kind of <laughs> that scene though was great yeah oh that, yeah that, that, that whole movie bathroom? is wonderful yeah the it bathroom is. fight yeah. scene is yeah, wonderful yeah, yeah. Uh, i tom cruise is weird but he does make good movies yeah yeah um but yeah if you want to if you have movie recommendations for amar mm-hmm. where can they find you online they can get at me on uh, twitter uh which is uh, amar ijaz at amar ijaz uh, that's at A-M-M-A-R-I-J-A-Z, or just find me through the uh, Asians Represent Twitter. Yeah, sweet. And uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to segue into an interview that I had back in at the end of 2019 with our friend Bashir, who I met at Big Bad Con. And we talked about Islam, we talked about games, we talked about representation, mm-hmm. and we also deconstructed some things that... Um, you know, are from the older AD&D days. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, Al-Qadim. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah, so it's, it's a great episode, and I think everybody here is going to love it. Enjoy. So, well, Bashir, thank you for, for joining me for this episode of Asians Represent. It's... um. One of the things I really liked about Big Bad Con, I mean, there were many things I loved about Big Bad Con. So many wrote, things. So many things, right? I wrote, like, we designed a game there called um, Misfortune uh, Quest. I, I saw the episode, wrote, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like, maybe maybe next time we're at a con together, I want to design something with you. All right. Sounds like a plan. Um, but one of the things I loved was, you know, how accessible the con was. I wrote an, an article about it for gnomestew.com. And I really loved the conversation you and I had about your game. It was never yours because it, it really resonated me with me on a very, very personal level because of my academic background. Um, and I don't know if I, I ever talked to you about that. Um, I'm not sure you mentioned it at the con. I listened to the show to some degree, so I'm kind of familiar. <laughs> well, so one of the things that I – an experience that I had um, in my former career as an archaeologist was um, I was – I did a lot of my work in, in Jordan, in Greece, in China, and on materials from Japan. Mm-hmm. And when I was at the, you know, the institution I was studying at I, – I don't want to slander anybody in particular – but when I was at the institution I was studying at – uh, we were talking about in, in our common area, we were talking about, you know, our work and if our work was problematic. And, you know, most of my colleagues to preface this were, were white. They were, they're all white, white people who worked in, you know, like Africa and Asia, Southeast Asia, um, or with like indigenous populations. And one of my colleagues, uh, a white person said, that my work was problematic because I was working in China at the time. And because I was not actually born in China, Mm -hmm. me going overseas to study in China, where my family is from, where my father was born, uh, was problematic. And I took great offense to that. Yeah, I would be furious if someone had said, like, something along those lines to me. Yeah, and I was... I was really deeply, deeply hurt by that comment. And to be honest, it's one of the reasons why I got really disenfranchised with the, the academic world in general. And then you told me about your game. You told me about your game and you said, you basically said, this is a height not knowing really what, what 
you know, my background was, you said, yeah, this is a heist game about stealing from the British Museum and returning those artifacts to the people who they really belong to. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a game about repatriation. Yeah, it's um... you had me. You had me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pointedly a game about repatriation. I'm an Indian Muslim. And so like the Kohinoor, an enormous wealth of artifacts that are like the precise nature of who should have them is disputed within India and Pakistan and Afghanistan. But there's this enormous wealth of cultural history that's just kind of sitting in England. Oftentimes, like the museum will refuse to acknowledge that it's there and then also refuse to give it back. And it's been something that I've been to some degree aware of for, I think, more or less most of my life because it was something that, like, my dad would tell me about when I was growing up and the books I read would tell me about as I was growing up. Yeah, I I mean, like, it's something that I think any any anybody who really attends a museum goes to a museum and anybody who visits a museum will will seriously understand i mean when you see most people i think have seen black panther and when you know you watch one of the early scenes of black panther when killmonger is at that sort of like fictional museum yes and that that curator like who who's a white person comes up to him and you know and is like talking to him about the, these artifacts he's looking at. And he said, Oh, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it from you. And then they, they tell him that it's not for sale. And then he says, well, how do you think your ancestors got these? Did they pay a fair price? Um, or did they take it like, like basically everything else. And that's such a powerful scene because in that moment, you a sympathize with Killmonger and B become super conflicted about him in Black Panther because the the movie is desperately trying to tell you that he's a villain, but many of the things that he does make him seem like a hero. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible scene watching it. Um, I absolutely loved that interaction. It was, um, it was also something that I had to be like pretty conscious going into the game, which I guess we'll get into, but like, it was a very powerful thing to see just on screen a filmmaker going, I have just as much right to take this from you as you did to take this from the people who own it legally. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, you know, it's repatriation in general is a really hot button topic because I know that there are people out here who are like, oh, the Indiana Joneses, it belongs in a museum. And many of us who, you know, grow up going to museums or traveling and visiting museums see the amount of funding that goes into these institutions. You know, when when I was traveling and living in China, almost every small town that I went to, like small rural towns that I went to, had these beautiful, lavish museums that very few foreigners would ever go to. But they're there as kind of a symbol of China's national identity and how its national identity is drawn from its past. And I would always think that, well, imagine if these artifacts, imagine if the terracotta warriors were taken from China and brought to you know a place like the British Museum, which is, let, let's face it, one of those central 
I want to say focal points uh, of this repatriation effort and repatriation controversy. A lot of people will say that museums, the point I'm trying to make, a lot of people will say that museums are actually better for these artifacts. I think this is something that you kind of touch on in the game where people will be like, well, wouldn't it be better off in a museum where these people with PhDs are preserving them and guarding them where they're behind glass and, and they can't be stolen, right? And there are going to be listeners who are thinking that, uh, you know, maybe like a couple minutes into this interview, why would you want to steal from a museum? Why would you want to send it back to a place where it can't be viewed by other people, where it can't be put behind glass in sort of protective custody? Like, how do you, how do you respond to something like that? I think, um, so part of it is that, like, there are museums in the countries where these would be going back to. And if the people who this rightfully belongs to want to put it in a museum, they can do that. They can still keep it there and keep it safe. And like the safety argument falls on its face in light of recent events. You have those news articles about the Chinese art thieves who um, I'm not sure I don't have a link on me at the moment, unfortunately, but it's a group of Chinese art thieves generally hired by rich patrons in China to steal uh, jewelry in your big big European museums that were originally from China and return them for their private galleries. And some pretty big pieces have been stolen from private estates and museums. And there's not much of an argument that it's actually safe there. There's the um, There's the ownership argument in that, like, it isn't the right of the museum to have these things they've stolen. And even if they won't be on display, the fact that you shot someone and took their stuff doesn't give you the right to keep it away from their grandkids, even if you're displaying it for the public and their grandkids wouldn't be. And in some cases, you get things like uh, Pimulwoy's skull, which is, who is a... Aboriginal warrior who was killed by the colonists and his skull was taken to England to be stuffed into a museum. Uh, no museum will admit that they have it at the moment. And like the people who, who buried him surely deserve the body of someone who died fighting for them more than like a bunch of dudes who killed some enormous percentage of the population and then grave robbed, essentially. Um, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people, they kind of say, oh, well, they, they look to, you know, characters like Indiana Jones and they think, well, he's, he's not really, he's just taking these things. He's, he's just stealing. And I think there's, there's more to it than theft, than the theft of cultural material and the theft of, symbols of someone's identity. I think underlying a lot of, you know, museum acquisitions are, you know, colonialism, slavery, yeah, like trophy economic thinking. exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 a lot of people don't consider that. They don't consider the fact that you know, there are a lot of underlying factors to even obtaining artifacts from other countries. And, you know, I was really grateful to have worked at an institution, like at a museum, where they were very conscious of that. They were very conscious of how they obtained new materials, if they did. 
Uh, they, it was often done through, you know, partnerships with museums in other countries, uh, often a part of, you know, exchanges of culture. And, you know, they, they were actively working to repatriate a lot of the materials, especially the human remains that they had at the Royal Ontario Museum. And I was really grateful to have worked at an institution of that. But I realized that not every museum is like that. Um, and I think it's really fascinating that you decided to make a game about that because just thinking about it, just thinking about my own background, thinking about the character I might embody when playing you know, your game uh, makes me conflicted. A part of me, like, like I said earlier, was like, well, you know, it's pretty safe in a museum. But then there's the part that we all think about. And it's that these artifacts are symbols. They're, they're symbols of that exploitation. They're symbols of that power imbalance. And your game is about uprooting that. So uh, one, of my, one of my questions, and we never got to even talk about this at Big Bad Con, was I want to know, like, your background. I want to know, like, what... What of your lived experience is in this game? Um, so I'm a psychology major. I was a behavior technician for a few years. And I studied psychology and theology at Santa Clara University. Um, my, my history background is largely informal. I hang out with a lot of historians. Orientalism and topics like it have been important to me for a while, I'm not sure I can put an exact year on it, and studying stuff like this and the injustices around it has been part of my identity when I, like, after I started to engage with the, like, that aspect of the fiction I was consuming and, like, the culture that surrounded me, which I guess, like, functionally speaking, a few weeks after 9-11, this became something I couldn't ignore and something I was going to be living for the rest of my life as, a Indian, like, as an Indian Muslim dude living in the U.S. for my entire life. That was just going the, – the history and how things came to be this way and why they perpetuate it what is something I don't have the choice not to involve myself in as I see it. And it was never yours. Um, the reason I tackle, tackled this topic in that way was because of like my knowledge of the British conquests and what they did to the lands they were uh, in charge of, the things that were stolen, the histories destroyed and taken away from the people who rightfully own it. And part of it was because the news of Brexit had uh, came out and... Black Panther had came out. And so between those two, and I believe there was a daily show segment where um, they were talking about the excuses these museums were giving for not giving stuff back. And they're talking about how like, oh, it's so much safer here. There's so much instability there. And once the Brexit vote passed and people were like starting to prepare for it and it became clear how disastrous this was going to be and what it could do to England, um, the idea that they were somehow safer in the British Museum than they were in a war zone became kind of laughable, um, especially with the yeah. history of British public utilities that have privatized. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I like, I mean, I, I like everything about your game. I love how simple it is. I love how it flows. I love that 
it really makes you think about your decisions. But underneath all of that, to me, this is like a game about identity. And that's something I also wanted to talk to you about. I think, you know, the the, the debate, we could, we could talk all day about the debate over whether or not it needs to belong in a museum. And, you know, for reference, everybody's reference, I am a strong proponent of repatriation. You know, as a former archaeologist, as somebody <laughs> who has traveled to other countries where, you know, I that was not my culture, I 100% understand. And a lot of the work that I did was you know, with local archaeologists, especially my work in China, because I wanted to make sure it was right. I wanted to make sure it was equitable, not, not just the knowledge being produced, but also the 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 work and the credit one of the things that i've been trying to do is ever since i dropped out of school uh, for my phd is actually make sure that i publish all of my work in english and chinese to make sure that everybody gets access to it now oh, i wanted to rad. yeah it's it's just like it's kind of that last thing on my to-do list because mm-hmm. i did all that work and so many people you know put their faith in me and so many people worked hard alongside me that I feel like I would be doing them a disservice by letting it sit there. Now, um, one of the things that I asked you about when, you know, when we were at, at Big Bad Con was Islam. And it, it's something that's very, you know, near and dear to me. Uh, I, I lived in, you know, in Jordan for, for archaeological work and I actually worked at an at a Islamic nonprofit in, in Toronto um, that was responsible for collecting zakat donations and providing community uh, learning to to young Muslims. And I, I, I learned about the Quran. I read the Quran and I became fascinated by it. I have a, a friend and his name is Osama Dorius. Uh, Osama works uh, for Warner Brothers Montreal as a game designer. And he talks about Islam and games. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, but he talks about Islam in video games. And I feel like Islam in tabletop games, Islam and its portrayals in role-playing games and Muslims in role-playing games is something that a lot of people don't talk about. And it's something that I kind of wanted to talk about with you because when I think of Muslim characters in games, I think about, you know, Altair and Assassin's Creed. I think about David Seraph. And uh, Farida from the DSX Human Revolution games. Uh, I, I think about you know Kamala Khan, you know in uh, Marvel Comics. Yeah, Kamala Khan is great. My sister is a huge fan. Um, yeah, I think so. In tabletop games specifically, people tend not to talk about like Muslim characters in tabletop games because the state of the field is horrible, pretty much universally. Um, <laughs> what, what, so, so what like, do you mean? What do you mean by um, that? So, generally speaking, there are a few exceptions. Um, but like generally speaking, we are non-existent, or so minor as to be non-existent, or we are horrifyingly stereotyped. You get stuff like Cthulhu Tech, which has just like white rights off all of Islam is just they all went crazy and became terrorists, and that's every Muslim in this setting. Um, you have stuff like Shadowrun, which has the most, like, 
most of Africa is just, there are goals here, like there are ghouls here, that's it. And uh, the rest is largely just racist stereotypes. You have Legend of the Five Rings, which uh, branched out into the Middle East and (laughs) India, which were somehow more racist than its portrayals of China and Japan, which is kind of incredible in a way, because it's pretty terrible (laughs) on China and Japan. But like its entire approach to India is just playing into every negative stereotype available from top to bottom, taking the voice away from everyone and then having them get colonized by samurai. When they actually show up in like one RPG supplement, every depiction of an Indian character is aggressively racist. Um, their approach to like their approach to the, the burning sands, they're like not Middle East is less bad than their approach to India, but it's entirely like this Oriental stereotype mixed in with this fear of Arab people mixed in with having, um, mixed in with having their Muhammad figure be Shinsei, a figure from the background of not China, whose great society spanning revelation was, here's how to build a wall. Yeah, um, I th- I think I mean you you bring up a really good point, and one of the I want to make sure that you know those who are listening can catch this. You're talking about two facets of your identity: your faith, and you know the fact that you are Indian, and how these are both like very very poorly depicted in tabletop RPGs. One I wanted to add was well Al Kadim, that's the D and D. Uh, fantasy setting. Um, it's the campaign setting that's was inspired by 1001 Nights. Yeah, and um, Al-Qadim is probably in like the top 10 of depictions of Muslims in fantasy settings. And it's not because it does anything incredible, but it's just like it's 80s writer who does like, who's kind of likes the Arabian Nights and Sinbad racist rather than like dude who probably wants like dude who has a subscription to a hate magazine racist and so like it's it has issues it's very orientalized and exoticized but like this campaign book from the 80s is one of the better depictions of muslims in role-playing games and that is incredibly fucked up yeah, one of the yeah, I mean, tell me about it. I I think that like what are the problems that you know these D and D campaign settings, these Asian D and D campaign settings um, have is that they really want to they they really want them to work within the existing D and D world. So they have things that aren't Asian at all. They have these orcs. They have these goblins. They have these elves. Uh, they have these symbols of European fantasy, these symbols of D&D's European roots with a skin over them to make them look Yeah. And it's harmful and it's disrespectful. And they, like you said, play on these awful stereotypes. Um, I mean, Five Rings is probably one of the worst out there. 
And it sucks that, you know, Al-Qadim is, if you were to use one, it, it, it's, the, it's the least harmful. But we shouldn't be looking for the least harmful. We should be looking for what is positive. We should be looking for what is respectful. We should be looking for what is representative. And to be honest, when the reason or another reason why I wanted to ask you about this is because not only do I want to know which ones you think are extremely fucked up, but I also want to know which ones you think are good. Uh, when when I think of depictions of Islam and depictions of South Asia in you know tabletop RPGs, I can only think of two. Uh, the first one I think of is obviously the the Musafir yeah. podcast that 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 yeah Miriam's uh, podcast that's set in Miriam's world, um, Sarzamine. I've had a chance to play a game in it, and it's wonderful. And so if I were to make my one podcast recommendation on this episode of Asians Represent, like it's the Muzaffir's podcast. I will second the Muzaffir's um, podcast. At, it's a lot uh, of fun. Yeah, and on Twitter, it's uh, at the Muzaffir's pod. I'll, I'll link it in uh, this just in, in the show notes on oneshotpodcast.com. But I think of the Muzaffir's as a really good one because I know the creator. I know the people who are involved in it. Uh, you know, on Asians represent Amar often um, really likes to to bring his his South Asian identity in, into her, his character. So Jangir uh, in our masks, New Shambhala, and of course Walid in who's who's like I love Walid so much, and Amar does such a good job with them. And but it can't just be those two. It can't be those two that are coded as South Asian. We need to have more. We need to, you know, take things away from these stereotypes. One of the things that I've been thinking about in leading up to this conversation that we're having is is a game I kind of feel conflicted about in, in very very much. Um, it's Coriolis. It's a game I really love. I really love playing Coriolis. I like its system. I think it's world. I'm not actually familiar with it, but. So Cor- if you if take look it up, Coriolis is by Free League, um, Free Ligan Publishing. They uh, it's essentially a uh, well, thousand and one nights, but in space. But what I I struggle with this game. I struggle with this game because off the top of my head, I don't know if any South Asian people or you know West Asian people or people who are, you know, practicing Muslims who are actually involved in the creation of the game. But in many ways, I feel like that game is actually very respectful. Um, so I'm, I'm personally very torn, and I've always been torn about this game. I think what it, what it does, in, it, it's set in this fantasy world where people are, you know, religion is deeply rooted in everyday life, kind of like, you know, the Islamic world and, and other very religious countries. And there is this kind of social divide between people who are very, very faithful and people who have kind of lost their faith. And faith factors into encounters in space and, uh, you know, how you go about your day-to-day life. And I think it's interesting just from my own experiences with um, the Muslim community here in Toronto, there there are a lot of adults who find that their their kids are moving away from their faith and this is something that uh, I, I I read into when I play Coriolis or where I read the source books but again I don't know if 
people were actually involved in that. Um, well, my question to you is, uh, what are some like good positive depictions of South Asia and of Islam that you see in tabletop games aside from, you know, Musafirs, which we've glowed about? Like, what else is there? What games can people buy aside from like, obviously yours? Um, Infinity is actually pretty good. It is primarily a war game by Corvus Belli, um, like sci-fi uh, war game, skirmish scale for people that uh, means anything to. It also has a role-playing game, Infinity the RPG by Modifius, I believe. And they have Panosiania and Hokuslam, which are a um, South, Southeast Asian, and then also like Australia, Brazil, and some of Europe. And um, like kind of pan-Islamic with a few like North American Muslims in. Um, so Hokuslam is... An Islamic faction, it's done pretty well. Um, it, they, the writers for it have made some notable mistakes writing the faction, but also have also like improved on those as they went and have like taken criticism on these things and revised the setting to, to work with them. It's a faction that is internally diverse. You have multiple competing things in uh, like political and economic and religious motivators within the faction that drive people to act differently and come into conflict with each other. It's got a wider ethnic base than Muslims are normally represented with. There are characters who are Turkish, Central Asian. Um, there's a character descended from like NASA employees who fled the United States as it collapsed. A uh, bunch of stuff like that. Oh, cool. um, and it is a solid genuinely heroic portrayal of the Middle East, as much as it's not perfect. Um, I wrote about it on my blog, Fear the Swarth. There's an article on there whose name I am blanking on, but I will link to you after we are done recording. Um, and then... Yeah, absolutely. I've actually... I know about Infinity because I've... I love miniatures and infinity is one of those ones that I've always admired, like the kind of the diverse sculpts that they had, but I didn't know that they had this sort of pan-Islamic. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty great. Uh, it's probably my favorite science fiction, like my favorite sci-fi and fantasy Muslim faction in anything really. Um, with their more recent models, they've diversified it to like North Africa and the near East. Um, Pan-Oceania is, um, like India, possibly Pakistan and Bangladesh, um, Malaysia, Indonesia, Australia. And then at some point in the faction's history, they like colonize Europe, um, which is, and uh, which was a pretty fun twist on the normal thing. And yeah. it's <laughs> a solid, it's a pretty solid Indonesian faction. Like it's a, it's a pretty solid faction in terms of like, there are sub factions and units and stuff representing um, like Indian and Southeast Asian people. And um, they get more complexity than you would normally get on some issue. They have the problem that they also have all the Spanish names because Corvus Belli is a Spanish company. Um, and so like a lot of their generic yeah. units are uh, default to being read as Spanish since everyone's in like full armor and helmets and, most of the names are in Spanish or translated from, but they are, they like have actual Indian rep that breaks pretty hard from the normal and 
portrayal of Indonesia, Malaysia, India in the in science fiction. Um, they're going like the Far East, like China, Japan, etc. Is it has a lot of problems, but um, I'm honestly like I picked up Infinity entirely because it was I like. I wanted to get into another war game besides X-Wing and there they had a Muslim faction that I didn't hate and I genuinely liked and that was it like yeah went full in. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> like war games are one of those things that I wish I could play more of. Uh the only one that I really play is Gaslands. Um and I used to be really into Warhammer 40K, but I'm I'm looking at the the Yu Jing the the Chinese faction. And I mean, I, you're you're right about these these flags. Like right here, it says, "the the whole of the Far East, united under the banner of what was once China, was pro- uh, has produced an integrated but heterogeneous Oriental culture." Uh, yeah, and of course, there's like the the thing with the Yujing is that they're very much playing on that dystopian, paramilitary, authoritarian China, and, and of course. You know that fear of the East, that fear of their technology, their that fear of their economic growth. It's um, I mean, it's I've seen worse, but looking at the Hak Islam and and reading about them, I'm, I I get what you're saying. Like I'm honestly very surprised and impressed. Yeah, like, very it, impressed. Um, yeah, I like. I really wish they'd just like do a full makeover for the fluff of. Yuching and just deal with a bunch of the Orientalism that's gotten in there, but um, it's their their work with other groups has been pretty solid. Yeah, it's I'm I'm consider me super super impressed. Now, I mean you've you've said a lot of things that are that are like the answers to the questions that I'm going to ask, but I know that the listeners are going to want to know this, right? So. You know, in, in your games, in, in, you know, in what we've talked about, I think we've spoken about the importance of, you know, positive Muslim representation, and the importance of debunking misconceptions about Islam and Muslims, and the importance of, you know, empowering people with actionable items that they can apply to aid Muslims in this struggle for positive and fair representation in games in general. I, I think that, like, you know, tabletop games, we do, most of it is Orientalist and it, it has, you know, it has its problems, but we see these problems magnified to the extreme in video games, right? Because it's like, who are Muslims in video games? They are either you know, mystical characters or they're terrorists. And that really can't be it. And that really shouldn't be it. So... For, for people who are looking working on campaign settings of their own, maybe they're, they're not Muslim. Maybe they're not from, I like to say Southwest Asia. I really don't like to say the Middle East, and I try not to. Because when you say the Middle East, it's the middle of the east yeah. of where? The UK. The middle of the east of, of, of England. The, the focal point of, you know, your game. It was never yours. The Middle East is the middle of east of Britain, and I, I like to I, I I very very actively try to avoid that, and I say Southwest Asia or West Asia 
or salvation. That's a great term. I should probably um, pick that. Yeah, I'll try and pick that up. Definitely. Like, it's something that that I'm trying, and I don't expect others to do it. But you know, when when we all try to you know, be more positive and be more fair and be more equitable. I think that's one of the things that at least I'm trying to do. So my question to you is how can people better represent Islam and Muslims positively in their games? How can we avoid, a, you know, like a shadow run? How can we avoid an al Qadim? How can we avoid a Legend of the Five Rings? For those who are working on things or are seeking help, obviously they should hire you. But what what can people do if they are already working on something or they just want to incorporate these themes? Because to be honest, my my time spent in Southwest Asia was some of were some of the best years of my life. I loved it there. It was beautiful. It was peaceful. Uh, I was at peace, and I think that Islam is a, a very beautiful religion. Um, how can people? have those feelings with these themes without hitting these stereotypes? So there isn't quite a one size fits all solution, but I think what I normally tell people is that every culture, every religion should, even if it doesn't make it on screen, should have the complexity and depth that the ones you focus on have. And they shouldn't be like, mono they shouldn't be a single stereotype and they shouldn't be a single image no matter what that image is um so everyone should like if you're portraying a religion that you're not super familiar with you should be aware that internally it has the same depth and complexities and similar conflicts to the one you follow, or if you do, if you're an atheist, like whatever movements you follow, the the depth of opinion and variety within those movements is in every single religion and culture that I have ever studied, and um, I think the really common pitfall that you get. Um, to just use a really famous example at the moment and say Game of Thrones, is that you don't have any of that. You have like, all of Essos is just, these are slavers. All of them. That's it. And then you look back to Westeros yeah. and you have this like big thing of politi complicated political intrigue and whatever. And like with good guys and bad guys and stuff. And that should never be the case where I can just kind of glance over and go, oh, you didn't care about these people. Yeah. I think same thing with, you know, portraying East Asian characters and cultures and even religions. It's that we, we, we can't, we can't get mixed up. We can't say that, you know, all Muslims look like this, act like this. Like you said uh, about the uh, Hak Islam faction in infinity, you said that they, you know, they come from different parts of the world. They come from different walks of life. They they have different. They trace their ancestry to different parts of Earth, and I think that's so important. Um, have you ever watched Jack Ryan? Um, I watched I on, on Amazon. I don't think I watched the series. I know there was a movie 
a while ago, and I think I watched part of it on an airplane, but I've not watched the Amazon series. There, there are several of them uh, within this Tom Clancy universe, but in the Jack Ryan show, there's actually a character. His name is James Greer. He, he's like, um, he's like an African American sort of CIA or what was it, a counterterrorism officer, but he's he's a Muslim, and you know his faith is important to him, but it isn't this single defining feature of his character which I think is great. Uh, when you when you look at you know portrayals of Muslims in, in video games and in tabletop games, their faith is important, but it's the only thing about them. It's almost like in order to talk about people from West Asia, they must be Muslim, even though there are people who are atheists who live there. There are people who are Christian who live there, uh, in my experiences especially in rural areas. Uh, for South Asia, it's, you know, there's a very, very complicated history yeah. there with like Mughal. Um, and that, you know, that makes for a, you know, this this sort of tapestry of religions. And, and I think when people, at least my piece of advice to people who are trying to portray something that lo- looks Islamic, um, or trying to portray characters that that are Muslim, don't shy away from it, but also don't make their faith and those stereotypes of their faith their only features. And, and I mean that—that's the one thing that I would say as somebody who is not Muslim but has had you know a very close relationship with Islam uh, in my very formative adult years. Um. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sorry, that got really, really sort of deep and heavy. <laughs> got really deep and heavy. But I think you brought up some really amazing points with Infinity. And to be honest, that's the most surprising thing of this podcast. I knew you would be awesome. I knew you'd be Thank insightful. You. I know your game is awesome. But I didn't know I didn't know anything about Infinity. Like, I know about the war game. I know there's an RPG. And I just didn't know there was actually a pretty decent you know, Islamic faction. And to be honest, it's kind of blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, like, and the fact that there's an RPG too. <laughs> yeah. Like the pioneer for Muslim rep in science fiction and fantasy is a miniatures war game, which is, which has its roots. Yeah. In something very colonialist. And yeah. It's, it's war games. Maybe we'll do an episode on war games and we'll have you back on. But oh, it has that would be its, <laughs> I, I I love war games. I'm fascinated by them. Has its roots in what's that? H. G. Wells's Little Wars. Has yeah, its roots in rich European men playing war with toys and codifying yep. these rules. And then, of course, that you know history of wargaming led to chainmail, which led to D and D. Yeah, and the one thing we have right now at least from our shared knowledge is that a war game is kind of this paragon of positive Islamic representation in tabletop games. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is subversive in a way. Um, 
<laughs> so well, I want to, we're, we're, we're running out of time. One of the, uh, one of the things that I want to ask you before, you know, we, we kind of close off this interview. I want to ask like, where can people find you on the internet? Where can people find your games? Where can people buy? It was never theirs. It was never yours. Sorry. Where can people buy your games? Where can people find you on the internet? Where can people talk to you? Um, so I, uh, I, I am havocfet.itch.io. You can grab my games there. Um, you can find me on Twitter as at Bashir Gauss, I believe. Might be at Bashir I Gauss. I genuinely don't remember what I put in. <laughs> Sorry, I should, have, I should have warned you in advance that I'd be asking you that question. It's just Bashir Gauss. Yeah, just at Bashir Gauss. Um... You can find me on Discord, though I'm not going to give my Discord handle out. And um, you can find me on the Sufficient Velocity Forum, which might be the easiest way to get a hold of me, because I do moder- like what? volunteer moderation there. What's Sufficient Velocity? I've never heard of this. Um, it's a basically a sci-fi discussion web forum. It's got um, like a bunch of write, like writing sections and um, some stuff for role-playing and nation-scale like nation role-playing and questing, which is a kind of internet-based choose-your-own-adventure thing where as, like, uh, as you write updates, a bunch of people vote and discuss and then, people, and then you write the next update. And it's a pretty neat format. Um, it's there in, like, a few other places. Um... Uh, it was what Homestuck originally was, kind of, except no one on Sufficient Velocity does art. So, huh. Uh, yeah. Huh, okay. Well, people can find you there <laughs> at all those things. Please, I think, if if anybody is was touched by this interview, if anybody was is curious about the themes we discussed here, please check out those games. Check out Infinity. Buy a copy or donate. Uh, but thank you so much for... Um, taking the time out of your evening to talk to me about this game and these themes uh yeah thank you thanks to bashir for joining us for this episode of asians represent and thank you listener for tuning in for not one but two amazing conversations asians represent is part of the one shot podcast network if you head to oneshotpodcast.com, you can listen to a variety of amazing podcasts like the broadswords an all-women actual play dungeons and dragons podcast focusing on role play narrative and diversity at the gaming table if you have any questions about this episode's theme uh, the games we discussed anything else related to asians represent you can get in touch with us on twitter at azns represent or at azns represent at oneshotpodcast.com you can also find us on facebook we'll all be posting videos from my time you know experiencing the lunar new year in china Mm. i'm daniel i'm amar you've just listened to asians Asians represent. represent